welcome back to the Just Start Storytelling podcast. My name is Ariel Beth Klein, and I am an actor, writer, and creative coach based in New York City. Today, I chat with Neil Redfield, who's an actor, writer, and creator of his solo show, Pim's Metamorphoses. Neil is an amazing writer. We talk all about solo shows and adapting text from other text and, yeah, just creative process in general and and the the challenges and, you know, the really rewarding parts about doing a show in Zoom and in person because they were so different. So hope that you enjoy my conversation with Neil and check out the show notes for how to watch his show. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so excited to talk to you about your solo show. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here uh, and talk about it more. Honestly, I'm so excited. It's been so nice just... uh, in preparing for this to like get to dive back into the show a little bit and think about it more and so I'm excited to to chat about it. Thank you. Yay. So just to just to start, can you give us um a little bit about yourself as a human slash artist, whatever that means to you? Yeah, um so I am an actor and writer. Um actor writer. Uh I am freshly back in New York City after graduating with my MFA in acting from Southern Methodist University. Um, <clears throat> graduated in 2020 into the pandemic, so that's great. <laughs> and then I was away for a year and a half and finally made sense to be back here in the city, which I'm very excited for. Um, uh, as a human, I actually, I come from a big science and math family. My mom is a computer science professor. My dad's an electrical engineer. Um, and so I, for a, a long time when I was young, I, I sort of assumed and thought I would be a, a professor of some kind in the hard sciences somewhere. Um, and then kind of, I, I, I was acting, I've been acting since middle school in like, you know, school stuff uh, as, as much as I could and decided in college that it was like, oh, this is actually what I want to, what I want to pursue. Um, Though I have been thinking about going back and getting a PhD in anthropology to continue theater audience research, um, so that's uh, a that's a to be continued. We'll see. We love a good TBD moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thanks. So I I loved Pim's Metamorphosis, your show. Um, when I saw it, how long has it been since you did that run of it? Well, remind me, which one did you see? Did you see the one in January? I saw the last one that you did. The last one, the one, great, great. So it's so, the last run of it was last year, which is hard to believe, it feels longer. Um, It was the end of May, beginning of June. We had a run at the tank, um, a digital run at the tank. Uh, That's May, June of 2021. And then in January, 2021, we had previously I should have done that in order. Um, we had previously done a completely independently produced um, uh, uh, short weekend run, um, which was entirely possible because it was all on Zoom. So it was like a really cool, and I'm excited to chat about that in the course of this conversation of what Zoom performance and meant for access and especially self-producing. Um, so yeah, we had a self-produced run in January and then we had a run with the tank in um, May and June uh, just two weekends, um, and uh, yeah, so it's been six months. Wow. Uh, six months since I got to do that run. Yeah. So the the thing they like to start out with is just telling us a little bit about the project and and how it started. And 
something that you touched on that I would love for you to go into more is like, did you start out writing this for Zoom or did this just happen to be on Zoom? Like, what was that whole process like? Uh, that's actually such a great part of the story of the project. So Pim's Metamorphoses is a solo show that I wrote for myself. Adapted. I pronounced it wrong. I'm so sorry. Metamorphoses. I said morphosis. Oh, sorry. oh, that's okay. I didn't even notice. Okay, um, I, I noticed it more when people spell it. But, okay. but, um, but yeah, that, that is, it's the metamorphoses as in plural, that it's like all of these different changes that, that happen. So it's, um, sorry to interrupt you. I just had it to self-correct. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so Pins Metamorphoses is a solo show that I wrote for myself, adapted from Ovid's Metamorphoses, um, and more directly from, uh, the Ted Hughes adaptation of Ovid's Metamorphoses called, uh, Tales from Ovid. Um, and it is about, um, growth, change, and self-reflection. It pretty directly adapts several of the, of the iconic metamorphoses stories, um, and uh, with, with some, like, really exciting flair that I got to change and adapt, and, if, and, and, and one entirely original story, um, or two entirely original stories, depending on how you look at the, the framing, the framing mechanism of the show. Um, uh, so it started as uh, an in-person an in-person project. Uh, I, you could say that the project really started in like when I was studying Latin in high school. Someone at some point told me that Ovid's Metamorphoses, the the original text, was a story of one being that goes through a series of transformations. Um, that and then it's like tells the the like iconic. Uh, um, um, uh, Roman myths, the, the, the iconic classic myths. Um, I'm, 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 I try to be very particular about that Ovid was in Latin, and so it was Roman, not Greek. It's not, not technically Greek, but, you know, we, we all put them all together. Um, but, um, so, it's, so I was originally told that Ovid's Metamorphoses originally was this one being who goes through all these transformations, and then you they tell the stories along the way. I learned many years later, it's not that at all. It's just a collection of different myths that we that we pull from independently in that Ovid that, that were collected in a, in a single work. So they're not there's no like narrative thread between them. It starts from like the very beginning of the world um, and, and goes on through all of these iconic myths that we know and many that we don't that we are not as familiar with. Um, uh, um, and so so I realized that wasn't, and I was like, oh, but that's a really good idea. So I had this idea for years to do a solo show version of Ovid's Metamorphoses, where the premise was that it was one being that was transforming through and, and experiencing all of these stories. Um, while I was in my MFA, uh, we had a solo performance class in our third year. So I had a very convenient structure where I was like, okay, I know I'm going to have to do a solo performance. I've, I, I, I've, I've made several... Uh, solo performances in the past, mostly inspired by Greek and Roman mythology. Um, I did a solo show about three um, Greek gods of love uh, back in like 2016 and 2017. Uh, I, I'm part of a, we have a little uh, solo performer um, collective called Decent Company that we did bi-monthly shows for a while. Where our, so I've made like a bunch of smaller pieces based on different themes. Um, anyway, so I'd done solo performance before, and I had the structure that I knew was coming up where I would have to do a solo performance, uh, um, completely original thing, and so I was like, okay, this is a great opportunity to finally write this idea that I've had forever. So uh, I started the summer of 2019 
writing this, writing out this show. Um, and it started with reading, like I said, Tales from Ovid. Um, and I was so inspired by the, the tone in Ted Hughes's adaptation that he, that he blends this, um, the like classical details of the myth with a very contemporary, with very contemporary, um, contemporary elements. I wish I could find a, uh, uh, I wish I had picked out a um, sample of that actually, but uh, well, I, I, I was inspired by that and borrowed that idea in my piece. So I'll, I'll give examples if we talk about specifics in, in, in my show. Um, anyway, so I was really inspired by that, and so I wrote and then just sort of started. It, it was, you know, it's an interesting process of inspiration that those early days of a project where you have a concept and you're starting with the source material and. It was a very, I, I would say the whole, the, the writing of it was always very intuitive as I sort of went along. And so it was, there were these, like, just these stories that happened to pop out that were like, oh, I'm interested in that for some reason or uh, some other reason. I don't know why I'm interested in that, but I keep coming back to that. So there ended up being four stories that I gathered in that first draft. And those were the same four stories that have continued, the four central stories that have continued as we go along. So I started writing it in 2019, performed it in person. For that class in the fall of 2019, um, minus one of the stories, and then I did a little independent showcase of it shortly thereafter uh, in January of 2020. <laughs> January of 2020, yep. So it was originally made for in-person, and then as we went through 2020, and especially the second half, and it was like, okay, we got I got to I got to like November, uh, October, November, and was like, all right. What are we doing? <laughs> what, yeah. what what can we do? And so I had had the idea to adapt it into a Zoom performance because I had done a couple little Zoom performances before, and I was like, you know what? I could I could do this. What was so exciting about that is that we discovered um, such cool resonances with it being done in the in COVID with it being done in the context of so many people returning home for their first time, you know, extend, for an extended time in years. Um, one of the place central central images and is the framing device of the show is, is one night, one morning you wake up and the sun hasn't risen. And so it's just still night. And, and, and the sort of confusion and crisis of that image launches into the into the rest of the stories and into the process um, uh, and so it starts with this narrator and it's funny one of the problems of the show in person I was like I'm not quite sure how to start this actually like I'm not sure where to, and that totally solved it when we adapted it to zoom because it then became our main narrator became um, his name is Pim even though it's not really said during the show <laughs> um, our main narr narrator became, became someone you know, very much like myself and many other people who were suddenly back home in their childhood bedroom for the first time in years and years and stuck and, and stuck with nothing else to do but like reflect and remember. And, and the unique thing of being in a space where you have the habitual thoughts and the previous experiences that, that just flood back into you and those youthful fears too. So it actually made so, it was, sudden, it was so exciting when we sort of realized that that clicked, that really solved that problem. Because then we were able to actually go directly to this guy in his bedroom, not knowing what to do next in his life and, and looking backwards and examining the fear that he had then and the fear he has now. And uh, it just totally launched us into, into, the, into the, the, the narrative of the show. So, and then, the, and there were several other exciting 
um, things. There was a there's one part of the show where I embody a statue. I embody Pygmalion statue, and um, in in person that was a really exciting that was a really exciting theatrical technique uh, or you know choice where I was I was I was sitting you know the show it, like a you know like an epic solo show should there was lots of movement and. And, and energy, and then and then we get to this one part that's about three fourths of the way through the show, and then, and so embodying the statue, I was just completely still as the statue and only speaking, and with like hardly even you know, using my allowing my face to move. So there was this like very exciting, very um, uh, uh, contrasting theatrical choice that we were able to make, or I was able to make because it was just me at that point, um, embodying the statue in person. And so we had, we found we had to make a very different choice, but we got to use the digital medium in an excitingly, uh, in in an equally exciting way. Um, so there was both, there were both specific problems that were solved and um, new opportunities that that came from adapting it to the digital medium. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You mentioned that um, when you were going through the stories and the um, myths and, and everything, there were things that stuck out to you. And so what was your process like in terms of like how much dramatic license did you give yourself? I know whenever I try to write from reality, I get very stuck in that. And then I'm like, is this even like, how do I even do this? What yeah. was that like with you? Well, one of the things I've always loved, and, and that's been a little bit of a like mission of mine, I guess, um, or that I would love, an idea that I would love to spread more is this notion that like the, the the recognition that these myths and these stories that we are when we're presented in like middle school English seem so codified and this is the way the story goes and that's what happens. These stories were being constantly reinvented at the time. You know, they were being told by multiple different authors within years of each other, changed, adapted, different versions. I love reading, I love reading um, uh, uh, like actual mythology textbooks because it talks about this author added this detail and this author took away this detail. So it's like uh, uh, that we have this notion that these stories are set in stone and they never were. And so how I approached this and what I, yeah, how I approach this and, and what I like to do when I'm adapting from mythology is this notion that I'm continuing in this in this process of adapting and retelling stories and changing details to suit what they're saying to bring out what they have to say in a contemporary world or what they have to say to my life so so i gave myself a lot of liberty to just focus on the things that i was interested in and um and it's easier i think when you're dealing with myth that rather than than real life um sure um uh um Though that does make me think of one of my my very first project when I was here in the city was a musical about Isabel Eberhardt, who's this fascinating woman that lived at the turn of the twentieth century. That's a totally different story, but um, that was pulled from that was pulled from that was a that was a nonfiction yeah. real I, story. You can talk about whatever is calling to you. I'm into it. Well, I want to I want to talk mostly about Pym's Metamorphoses, but in contrast with that, that, that like there was an interesting story with Isabel Eberhardt who. You know, if you've not heard of her, I highly recommend checking her out because she's this fascinating, fascinating woman. She was a European woman who converted to Islam and traveled Algeria dressed as a man, um, uh, wow. and wrote and wrote and was a, this writer and was and died at 27 out of a flash flood in the middle of the desert, and was this rather enduring figure of of kind of um, 
of Orientalism and this fascination with the East uh, in in Paris and in Europe at that time, in the early 20th century. Anyway, so so we adapt that that was an adapted that was a musical by Liz Suedos that I was in, and we it was like we were working at it in the process and found that that she had, her life was nonfiction, but we actually found that like. Because what you're alluding to is when we're adapting, we make a choice, especially from nonfiction, we make a choice. Do we stick to the strict facts? Like, what's more, is it more useful for us to stick to, to the direct facts or to something that is uh, uh, um, interpreted but somehow gets closer to the truth? You know, and so I, it was in, with that project we found actually that like her life was so interesting that it was like pretty much we just stayed with the facts like it was kind of fascinating it was an interesting study but getting back to Pym's metamorphoses and adapting from myth is that there's a lot more flexibility to do that to adapt and to shift and to change um, and to and to put it in a different context and that can be crippling sometimes that can be equally crippling sometimes too as I as yeah, I experienced with one of the stories um, so, so yes, I think to, to actually answer your question fully was that I took quite a bit of liberty um, because I see this kind of work as, as continuing a legacy of adapting and retelling and, and, and changing stories. Um, and so I, I like to feel excited about being part of that unbroken dialogue with these stories. And that's how I see it as contributing to the next step of that interpretation. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you, of course, some of the stories had more changes than others. Um, I started with Faith On, um, which is like the, one of the first stories in the Metamorphoses. And whenever anyone does an adaptation of the Metamorphoses, it's always their first story. So it's like, okay, great. Yeah, we'll do that one. Um, but that one actually is pretty close to told told how it's usually told with just like more narrative details and and, and sort of interest in the father-son relationship in particular uh, faith on the son of Apollo um, whereas like um, uh, the the second story is completely of my creation even though it's got these flavors and feels like it could be a myth could be a classical myth um, though it's also the most kind of contemporary set and um, yeah so there's obviously variation between the different parts of the show, but but that was really important to me that it that it that it um, accumulate um, details and ideas uh, and themes that or, or or accumulate details that could bring out themes that are relevant and and hit me and and hopefully the audience today. I think that that's so inspiring though because even like what you're saying about getting to the truth like that's kind of i think at the crux of what we're trying to do as storytellers even if it's a fictional story we're trying to get at the truth of something of a moment of a feeling of humanity and i struggled with that a little bit not to talk about my show but when i was writing my show and it was like this was the truth that i was feeling and but it's still my memory so you know my mom would say actually this is how it happened and i was like oof but that's my memory of it so should i change it to fit yours and i was like no i have to this is my truth and how i felt and my job is to share my truth with the audience so even though maybe she said something different that's how i remembered it and then i had to stay in the show so it's so it's so tough when you're working with stuff like that but anyway yeah thanks for sharing that yeah so what was like the most um, challenging and rewarding part about creating the show? Goodness. Um, um, the most challenging part, I would say, uh, for 
Yeah, okay, so really the most challenging part for me was was struggling with the adaptation of one of the particular stories, actually. Um, there, so the, the fourth story in the show is an adaptation of Niobe, who in the classical Greek myth is this woman who, and, and this is a great example of like examining the intuitive nature of, of this writing and what this process, writing this was for me, the intuitive nature that this, that this writing process was for me. Um, the original Niobe story, she's this woman that has 14 kids, and she um, is this like, she's this like, you know, badass woman in the community, and she's a queen, and, and um, really, really prideful. And so there's this one festival day where everyone's going to take festival, going to take honorings to uh, Leto, who's the mother of, of Apollo, and Artemis? Apo definitely Apollo. I can't remember who the other one is. I always mix them up. I think it's Artemis. Anyway, um, sorry for anyone who actually knows that off the top of their head and in classicist listening to this right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so she's the she's the mother of Apollo. Apollo is the only one that factors in in, in in my story. That's why I remember that better. But so 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 Niobe stops everyone in the village from or in the town from going and doing these offerings to Leto. And instead, you should be worshiping me. Leto's not, you know, she, she's not here for you. I'm here for you. I'm this, And so they all go, they all go to her. And Leto is outraged that her sac her offerings have been taken away um, and then sends Apollo to ruthlessly murder all 14 of Niobe's children. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then she is swept up in her, she, she is, she, she is so brokenhearted that she turns into a statue and she is swept up in a hurricane and deposited on an island, whose name I can't remember, and, and uh, where she weeps for all eternity. Um, so it's like, great. This is an example of a story that I read and I'm like, wow, this, this like is really calling out to me. And it took me so long to figure out why. And, and, and I think, and, well, in a way it did, in a way it didn't. I think, I think what, what called out to me was this notion of like this woman who said she was the greatest mother of all time suddenly losing all of her children at once and then what is she that her identity her identity is entirely wrapped around that that thing you know who she is is wrapped around that identity and when that identity is removed from you is taken away from you what do you who are you i guess you turn to stone i guess that's what happens <laughs> yeah, that, that, that checks out Right? Um, but so, or, or, you know, I, at least that's what it ended up being about for me. And so I really struggled with how to put her in a contemporary context and then, but still understand what it, what it was. Um, oh, there was a whole prophet situation too. The prophet of Leto comes and demands offerings and, and Niobe's like, this woman's crazy. Um, but so then, um, so, so then it was like, okay, Niobe, I really wanted her to be placed in a somewhat contemporary setting. So it was like introducing her like, oh, she's like the, like the girl who like got, was valedictorian in high school and got a 1600 on her, on her, on her SATs on the first try without studying and was on the cheerleading team and was prom queen, you know, like she's that woman. Yeah. And then like went to law school and like married a lawyer and has the, and like fell right into society and all that. So it was, I really had to struggle with, I really struggled with that story for a while. That's, that's where we, in the notion of like, what did she want in the context of that? Like, 
I knew she was this badass woman, but also, you know, also I'm, I'm, I'm a man writing about this idea of womanhood and femininity and what it is to be a woman in this context and to be a successful woman and achieve success and how can she, and, and navigating the thing of like, it was really important that it was actually like the most important thing to her was being a mother. And like, how does that land and how do we tell that story and how does she give up all these other, yeah. So, so, so it struggled for a while and how to hit exactly the right tone. And I spent hours and hours and hours on that kind of just like hammering through like, okay, let's try this. Let's try this. Um, and when you say that, like in terms of your process, was that you writing out different things, reading them, or was that you bringing it to rehearsal or how was that? What did that look like? Just it was, it was a lot, a lot of it was my own struggling by myself. Like New Year's Day 2021 was spent all day long working on Niobe. <laughs> like that was done all day long working on Niobe. And New Year's, actually New Year's Day 2020 also was, because I was preparing for an in-person show then. And so it just kept, yeah, so it was like, it was really like, I, everything that kept coming out, I knew wasn't quite right, but I just had to keep putting more stuff out, you know, and like putting stuff out and then editing and then putting out and then editing. And, and it was, it was a really grueling process. But in the end, I found something that was good. And it was through conversations with the director and my other collaborators, which was really, really essential. That helped guide that process. But the real struggle of it was just sitting down and doing it. And now that I've mentioned them, I, I one thing I want, want to make sure that I say is how important and valuable it was moving to Zoom to find incredible collaborators. Like, I found better people than I ever thought I would actually find. Um, it was directed by Ann Noling, who came on right at the beginning, and like was is she is an incredible, incredible director, especially for new work, and was so we clicked so well in the way both that we talked, uh, she talked about the story and me as a writer, and also talking to me as an actor in doing this. Matthew Dinart direct uh, organized the the lighting and scenic design and videography and. We put it through OBS, which is a whole process that allowed us to do a lot of like live effects, which was super cool. Carolina Ang sound designed the show. Um, we were originally stage managed by Amber Gebert Goldsmith, who I think is now in Arkansas in a, in a stage management residency still this year, and uh, the second time by Daily Marone. And they were all just so, so incredible in um, working on the show, and uh, especially in the adaptation process. Um, it, was, it, was, it was one of these amazing things that I was like, so nervous about like asking people to do this project that felt so personal. It felt like my, you know, like I'm asking people to do my thing and almost feels selfish. Like, how am I going to get people on board? One, everyone was so ready to work at the time yeah. that it was kind of a no, it was like way less of a, way more of a no brainer than I expected it to be. Like the whole time I kind of kept expecting to be like, okay, oh, but I understand if that's too much. And they were like, no, like we want to, we want to do this. Like, yeah. And then also because it becomes not just your project, you know, it's their work as well and you're working all together and, and it becomes our project. So anyway, I wanted to make sure that I acknowledge those collaborators because they're so incredible. Um, it's huge. It, I love what you said about how it becomes our project because it is super vulnerable to reach out be like, I wrote this and I will be in it and I need help. And you're just like, I'm sorry for existing. And they're like, we like this. And you're like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, I forgot what track we were on before then. But oh, that's I okay. What, so what was the most rewarding part about working on the show? Oh, God, that's right. That was the hardest part. <laughs> That was what I was going to transition. The most rewarding part was working with these collaborators, actually. It was like, so we, um, um, 
yeah, it really, it, it, it was that, and, and I mean, I, and having an audience, and talking to the audience afterwards, I, I mean, it's almost cliche to say that, but it's, it's, it was. That's um, why we do it, right? To share the story and, and get people's, like, thoughts on it, I think. Exactly, exactly. I, um, so, yeah, working with the collaborators and f discovering things that I never would have thought of or been able to do on my own because they had their unique perspectives and their expertise that were so helpful. We did a lot of great exploring. We did split screen stuff with the Zoom systems. We did this, we did a, we had a really cool setup for the, um, we had a really cool setup for the, um, the, the statue. Um, like I said, I had a really, I, I really liked the, the, the technique I made in person and we made something really cool specific for the Zoom medium, which I'm not going to spoil. If anyone wants to watch it and experience it, I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about details of that later. Um, uh, but, um, you know, things that we discovered only because we had people that were ex this guy who's Matthew Matt, who's an expert in OBS and had done all of this stuff and was so game to explore. Um, but yeah, and then, and then just having the audience, you know, it was interesting performing this, um, a solo show, um, literally in my childhood bedroom, like literally in my bedroom, set in the bedroom of this guy, and it's in my bedroom, which is perfect, and what an opportunity, and I'll never be able to do that again. Um, um, but like, you know, there were there were interesting moments performing it where, well, one, the first night I performed it, the, the TV, the, the room to the living, our living room where my parents were watching it, is like, a, only separated by a hallway. So, so Ariel, I, the first night I performed it, I was hearing a three-second delay echo of myself almost the entire show. That is literally a nightmare. It is. It was a nightmare. Like you do so much practice. Like don't, don't you know? Don't try to listen to myself. Don't be too concerned in how it sounds. Just be. Just communicate. And then it was like, no. Like here it is. Here's what you sound like. You're ready. Ooh, it was incredible. Um, maybe that was the most challenging part, honestly. <laughs> Um, yeah, and you can't even say like stage manager, please get them to be because the stage manager is not in your house. It's yeah, exactly. I, and and I was performing constantly, so I couldn't like step out of the door and take two seconds and be like, oh wait, family, could you turn the volume down? Yeah. <laughs> so it was just like, okay, here we go. Um, no, but but in the process, you know, while performing it, it there was there were really interesting moments like that because it was like sometimes it was like I'm so thrilled, and and that's the that's the thing of Zoom theater, right? Or Zoom performance. I'm so thrilled to be doing this, and I know people are watching. And like, I'm this 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 device that I'm looking into is sending this to who who knows how many people, and people are experiencing this live. That was one thing really important for us that we wanted to live. You know, people knew this was happening live, yeah. and it was happening live. Um, but then there were other times where I was like, I'm literally playing pretend by myself in my room, and I feel very alone. I feel so alone. Um, so it was so interesting and so gratifying then afterwards we had a little talk back after the last show to have people talk about you know what popped out at them and what they remembered and what it meant to them and so that was definitely the most rewarding part with the conversations i got to have with audiences afterwards um you know many of whom are my friends and there's another there's another queer male um playwright or writer actor friend of mine who saw the show and was just so so moved by it and so like we had a zoom a couple days afterwards and he basically like reiterated the entire show back to me which was just like so satisfying not just to have someone pay that much attention to your work but but to know to know, just to know that it impacted them to to remember these specific lines and these specific moments and it's like 
Oh, okay. All right. I did my job. I did my job. I, I found something that, that meant something to me. I put work into examining how to present it. And I presented it, and it landed. And it was meaningful to someone. Amazing. Um, yeah. So that, and it's that hard really... to get that feedback because we really do write solo shows. If anyone else has written one, you write it in a vacuum, and you're just like you have. At least I did. I'll speak from the eye. I had days where I was like, "This is a good story. I am excited about this." And the next day, I was like, "Why would anyone read this? I'm gonna keep going because apparently I'm writing this now." And then you're just like, once you have someone be like, "Oh no, that lands," you're like, "Okay, great," because I yes. had no idea. Yes, exactly. And to the point where it's like, as soon as you know that something lands for someone, then you're like, this is never leaving or changing in any yeah. form at all. <laughs> yeah, I get very attached. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh. I love it. Yeah. Was there anything that you wish you would have known when you were starting out writing this solo show that, like, by the end, you were like, oh, if I had known that in the beginning, this would have helped me? No, actually. Not for this project. Uh, uh, th this was such a d evolving, developing process. There wasn't anything that felt like I wasted time or lost time. Um, um, I, yeah, and and it was such a learning process too of like trusting my intuition, um, and and to see like you know, I struggled a while through it and at specific points. Some things were really easy and some things I really struggled for. And, um, you know, at some point I struggled at every part of the show. <laughs> but um, to, to get to go through that process and end up with something actually that was like, I am really proud of this work. And, you know, we can talk about the merits or pitfalls of pride, but like, but like, this is something that I stand behind and I get, ex I get excited about. I actually made something that I get excited about. And that was through hard work, and that was through um, that work from collaborators as well. But but even like the script itself, it was like, I put the work into this, I kept my ear sensitive as I was reading back to myself and editing, you know, and, um, uh, uh, and, and I actually ended up with something that I'm really proud of and that I like. So, so, yeah, no, I, I don't think there's anything that needed to be different or, or I would have wanted to be different in the process of working on this. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything, so, because you have written other solo shows as well and you are in a solo show collective, is there anything, if someone came to you and was like, this is the, my first time writing a solo show, do you have any advice? Like, what would be, like, <laughs> one thing that um, maybe you could impart? Yeah, I mean, the big thing that's been the most helpful for me recently in my writing is, and, and what was the theme for the show, is just like, trust your intuition. Trust your intuition, don't question too much. I mean, you know, that, that it's probably a platitude by now, but the Ernest Hemingway, right drunk, edit sober, you know, just yeah. go, just plow through, just start writing, because you'll find stuff from that that you wouldn't have you wouldn't have been able to and I'm a gen you know my pitfall as an as an artist oftentimes and then and also superpower is um that I get very cerebral very easily and so you know for anyone else that has that same experience it's really it's it's like try listen listen to that intuition listen to that gut you know you had you had a little mini episode about you know follow the feeling which which I think is really similar it's it's like a radical trust in yourself and it was that was one of the reasons I was so grateful for, for, for Anne, my director, is that she was so great about navigating that and 
and and and being open to the like okay neil even if he can't fully explain something like he does feel it's very there's a strong intuition here and we trust that and then pushing against that when she felt she needed to you know and so so yeah for anyone that's starting out writing a solo show i would say i would say that's one thing that's my that's my first piece of advice um watch uh, uh, uh listen to that intuition trust your intuition two personally um uh well two watch taylor mac <laughs> two would be watch taylor max anything you can watch of taylor max performance 100 percent right. um T taylor mac is i think my favorite artist making art in the world right now um i'll put it in the show notes yeah d highly recommend highly recommend there's a um there's a there's a project of Taylor's that's Walt Whitman that's like Walt Walt Whitman videos which is a great entry point um uh anyway highly recommend Taylor Mac's performance if you can ever watch a, a recording of the beast of Taylor Mac that's a really great show a really great sampling of what you know what Taylor's performance is that's my second piece of advice and then and then my third piece of advice would be and I and I don't well offering my third offering would be see if you can start with a structure that's not just talking about your life at first like and i don't know i mean maybe maybe if you want a challenge if you want a challenge starting out um that was something that was really important to me there's so much artistry as you know there's so much artistry in sort of self-confessional and self-analytical performance something that i think taylor mack does really well is illustrating the artistry of that um, but it's not always apparent immediately. It's hard to actually see and get a sense of it. And so the thought of writing something, I think it's usually better to write something um, that, that it's not just, so where it would be harder to fall into just like, I'm just talking about myself, where you're actually a little, something that's a little more distance allows you to be more considerate about, about the structure and how it connects. One of the things I was really excited about, one of the things that made me so excited about Pym's Metamorphosis is that I discovered all of these interconnecting threads that made sense structurally that made sense thematically and it was like wow there's i figure I, that that ended up all in there intuitively and we were able to see it over time and bring it out over time but i think i mean i don't know i i, I would fight with myself but but i <laughs> on, on whether that's an absolute i think that's a little easier to see and have happen when it's not when it's not like a strictly self-confessional analyzing my own life it's like having some other structure Sure. Um, open up things and, and give you good practice yeah. that's a good point too because what you said about being able to come at it with more of an objective eye more of a structural editing without getting too not that getting emotional about it is bad but it's easier to edit when you give yourself some space and i it was hard for me to do that because it was a, a personal narrative but right. i found that when i started working with my, also my director christine Zerger, who's amazing she'd be like and she would talk to me as, when we were in rehearsal she'd be like the writer wrote this for a reason that connects to this and i was like are you sure that's amazing i didn't even realize i was doing that so it's like you got to have some sort of if it's not yeah if it's not writing about something that's aside from you you need another opinion i think to be yes. like just bounce it off of because you get so invested if it's your personal yes. story i think and that too, I found it so important to separate playwright Neil and actor Neil, like so, so important. One playwright Neil to, you know, to, to, to have the feeling of, is this important or is this not? And actor Neil to 100% trust playwright Neil and yeah. just know that that's there for a reason. 
and and you'll find that even if you think the writer is an idiot for writing it that way like that happened you know so it's like it is like it's funny it was definitely in rehearsal it was really important to separate those two those two roles those two roles because they ask different things they ask different things yeah 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 well, I have one more question for you. Um, are there any like creative practices or routines that you do that help you as an artist? If any, uh, no is okay too. Yeah, no, I don't right now, which which drives me crazy a little bit. Um, I am part of a writing group, which we're really, you know, we meet about once a month. That's um, a routine. Yeah, yeah, so it is. So every time that comes up, that's a priority. Um, and that's one thing. So whenever there's an opportunity to share something, that's a like, okay, here's a priority. This is going to happen. I need to go. Um, uh, so is that other, other than that, you know, I, I am very, um, I'm very inconsistent on when exactly I write. And it does take a lot of, it does take a, like, I don't know, expect things to align in the right way for me to really sit down and engage. Um, and I, and I wish I had more of a practice you know, every so often I think of like, oh, Tennessee Williams got up at 5.30 every morning to write something for the rest of his life, Neil. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, let's give <laughs> ourselves unrealistic standards and then yeah, exactly. ourselves when we can. Exactly. Okay, um, no, but I do like that. I, my, my writer's group is a, is, a, um, is a structure. It is a structure and one I'm very grateful for with them. And, and, and it gives a motivation. Um, so, so, yeah, that, that, that is very, very useful. To, to even have that. I will offer to you that the space in between structure, like I'm, I think the same as you, where I will not write for a week and then write for five hours and be like, I did a 10 minute play. And it's like, why? It's because I, for that week when I wasn't writing, I was thinking about it. I was, you know, maybe mm-hmm. jotting down notes here and there, but I think that that space in between isn't necessarily unproductive. It doesn't necessarily have to be pen to paper all the time. Yes, definitely. And one of the things that I do do is that like, I, I do a lot of research when I've got a project that I'm interested in. The next big thing that I'm working on writing, well, I've got two big things that I'm working on writing. Um, do you share um, if you're comfortable? The, yes, no, please. I, that was, yeah. Um, is, uh, the first is a big, big project um, about QAnon. Well, it started about QAnon and has since expanded to um, internet the internet and tech, how technology changes the way we communicate and how technology can bring out the heart of darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like wild. Um, and QAnon is like right at the center of that for me. Um, I recently discovered that it's probably going to be like multiple plays um, that culminate into one, you know, central play. And we'll see right now I'm working on one that's a uh, centers around a, a live content moderator, live social media content moderator, uh, in contrast to a social worker, um, um, and uh, we, you know, which content moderation is just a harrowing, harrowing thing that we ask people to do, and it comes specifically because of the internet. They're just sitting for eight hours a day watching like videos of the absolute worst things that people post, most violent, most heartless, most gruesome, um, all day long, and are incredibly regulated and not paid well. And, um, oh, I didn't so, know that was a job. Oh yeah, wild. it's wild. It's wild. Um, so, watch out for the play when it comes because it'll. <laughs> it'll... Oh, yeah, I'm hooked. I mean, dude, I'm hooked. <laughs> uh, dude, I um, called you dude for the first time in my life. I don't know why. I said that. Oh my god, I don't. Is that the first time? I don't know. That, well, I don't really use the word dude a lot. I don't know why. Um. 
feel like we were in college again for a moment. Um, <laughs> Back, at Back at UD. Back at UD. Neil and um, I went to the same college, um, which is what, what what we're talking about right now. Yes, University of Delaware, Blue Hands. Ah, yes. I went yes. to one football game, learned how to the rules of football, and then yeah. immediately never went to any other game. I didn't go to a single one. I went. I tailgated every year, I think, but I didn't go to a single football yeah. game. Yeah. People would um, leave early anyway. I was like, why would I walk all the way down to South Campus just to sit there for 30 minutes and then I walk know. all the way back? I know, right? <laughs> but we digress. Um, um, God, what was I saying? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so, so this project. But what I've been doing, I've been percolating this for years and years, and I've been listening to podcasts and reading books. And so there's a lot of percolating time in my process and a lot of research time because oftentimes then I'll, I'll come up against something and that sparks something so immediate and then I write for an hour after right. that you know or expand that idea and that's so informative um, so I feel like a lot of my process is actually looking for those like intense sparks of inspiration um, Ooh, yeah. that's the, a good yeah, band name sorry sparks of inspiration I like that um, the other project that I'm that I'm that is coming up that I'm going to start in earnest this month is um, a play about my grandfather um, who passed away last year, early last year. Um, but it, he, he was married, uh, he was married five times in his life. Um, and so it's going to be called my five grandmothers or all my grandpa's wives. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it. It, it, you know, uh, so anyway, so there's a show about him that's coming up cause he had a very, it's not even so much about his life as much as it is about like my family's response to his life and and this notion of like how how we can, how people can change but we have these like pieces of evidence of who they were or different parts of themselves that you don't see hmm. um, you know so there's a familiar resonance change and and the inevitability of change and, and that with Pym's metamorphoses but uh. anyway well, I'm hooked again, so. Yeah. If people like me are hooked, where can we find you, follow your work? Where can we watch Pym's Metamorphoses, like I think you mentioned? Well, I um, the best thing to do would be to check my website, um, www.neilredfield.com. Neil, like Neil Armstrong, N-E-I-L. Um, uh, yeah, I don't have, like, an active, active, like, work Instagram or Twitter or anything like that. Um, if you are interested in watching Pym's Metamorphoses, um, we don't have like a formal streaming, you know, process or anything, but I have been sharing it with people asking um, for a donation to the team to support our work. So I have a contact form on my website. Again, that's www.neilredfield.com. Uh, or you can email pimsmetamorphoses at gmail.com directly. Um, and we would be happy to share it with you. And it's a you know, suggested donation. So you're able to share and support that would be great if not we're happy to share the work and i would love for you to watch it um so again that's pim's metamorphoses s-e-s -E at gmail i'm writing it down right correct this time i'll, I'll put all that in the episode notes as well <laughs> i don't say that for your i i say that because so many people make that same mistake <laughs> i i feel not alone now <laughs> Okay, good. Don't feel singled out is what I mean. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Well, th Neil, thank you so much for doing this. This has been so wonderful to talk to you about. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, like I said, it was. It's been really nice to revisit the show and and think about it again. Yeah. <laughs>
yeah. And hopefully, you know, I, I would love to do more. I would love to do more. I'd love to. I mean, I think there might be an in-person version of it again. Um, uh, I hope in the future. Not sure what that'll be yet, but if anyone's interested, you know, you know how to reach me. Yes, we will definitely keep us updated.